0: the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God for this sweet time of worship. And uh, and yes, happy um, Fourth of July, and we are grateful for this nation. Um, there's no such thing as a perfect nation. Every nation has its problems and issues, but I'm glad that we could uh, be free um, to gather together and don't have to worry about um, getting arrested and um, but let's not take that for granted because we, you know, America, we can't spell persecution. We don't know what persecution is, okay? And we realize there's other parts of the world um, that is dealing with a whole lot of persecution. Um, but how many of us know that nothing can stop God's church? Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, yes, praise the Lord for our country. But most importantly, praise God for the freedom we have in Jesus. Amen. Amen. 1 Kings 17, 1 Kings 17, um, it's a very familiar story. We're going to be looking at verses 8 uh, to 16 in 1 Kings 17, verses 8 to 16. My mother is a sweet lady, um, but you don't cross her. You know, it's funny watching my parents interact with the grandkids. I'm like, who are these people? (laughs) So sweet, so nice, right? But growing up, my mother was, uh, among many things, she was passionate about a lot of stuff. And one of the things that mama did not play, mama didn't play uh, wasting food. Um, She was passionate about preaching a sermon at the table, which was finish the food on your plate. And I always wonder why she always pointed at me more than any of my siblings. It was always me. Yes, I know I, was, I needed some extra assistance in Jesus' name. But I, but I used to think my mother would pick at me because she knew there were certain types of food I didn't like. But she put it on my plate anyway, such as the lima bean ministry. oh, Black-eyed peas. Oh, Lord have mercy. What about the chitlins? Anybody ever had chitlins? Now, my dad, my dad don't like chitlins, so he, he, he uses, uh, you know, head of household rights to say, I don't like chitlins, my son don't like chitlins, so therefore he's not going to eat chitlins in Jesus' name. <laughs> but my mother was very passionate about finishing the food on your plate. Why? Because to waste food is to not value the one who has provided and prepared the meal. Uh, to waste food. It's to not value the one who has provided and prepared the meal. Do you realize that God has some metaphorical meals for you and me? It's called plans. It's called works for us to glorify him in. And it's so easy for all of us to meander through life, to coast through life, to phone the Christian life in. In fact, I grew up going to public schools all my life, and actually Moody Bible Institute was the first Christian school I went to, and I found it more of a challenge to stand for Christ in a Christian school than to be in a secular context where you knew the lines were already drawn and you really had to lean in on what you said you believe. And so being at a Christian school, though I praise God for it, I realized it's easy to phone it in. You're in theology class. Everybody's in a small group. Everybody's active in chapel, lifting their hands. Everybody looks spiritual and close to Jesus. It's easy to put on an Oscar performance. I'm a preacher's kid. We know how to do it well. Hello, Denzel. I'll outperform you any day. (laughs) It's easy for us to coast through life. It's easy for us to take for granted the meals that God has prepared for us. So the question for us simply is this. Will we take advantage of the meals that God delivers to us to serve him in, or will we waste our food, or will we waste our moment in history? If there's anybody in Scripture that knows what it's like to experience meals literally and figuratively, it would be that of Elijah. me look at his life. I'm going to take a different spin than you might have thought or you probably used to because when we come to this classic story, I want to look at it from the standpoint of God's activity, God's work as he's preparing his prophet for service because this story is on the early part of his development there is no you know smooth entrance Elijah comes on the scene boom and now he's being trained by God for the service and so from this standpoint this, this thought comes to mind, this main idea, this sermon in this sentence, if you will, that I want to lift up for, for us this evening, and I pray that we will be encouraged and challenged by this. What do we learn from this story? Let me give it to you up front. Here it is: God wants to use me while He's working on me. God wants to use me while He's working on me." Again. We are on the front end of God preparing his prophet for service. This isn't Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This is early development. Praise God for trainings. Praise God for institutions. Praise God for programs. But let me just tell us, God also has a school. And his school is called brokenness. So God wants to use me. While he's working on me. So what do we learn about the presence of God? What do we learn about the activity of God? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about the ways of God as he's working on us? Three things. Number one, God will humble me as I serve him. Where do you get that from? Look at verse 8 and 9 in First Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Right now, Elijah is in a place called Sheriff. He's sitting by a brook, being fed heavenly biscuits by the ravens. But check this out. The Hebrew noun form for Sherath means to be cut down. There's nothing random with God. Eliza right now is in a season where he's being cut down. Oh, Chuck Swindoll, the great preacher, says this about this wonderful situation here. This was a place designed by God to further refine the prophet and make a major difference in the remainder of his life. So there he is sitting by your brook, it means to be cut down, but now God tells him to get up from that place where you're being cut down and go to a place called Zarephath. Well, the Hebrew noun form for Zarephath means crucible. So you're going from one assignment where you're being cut down to now you're going to another assignment where it's going to serve as a crucible for your development. Isn't it amazing how God works? This is why the Christian life isn't on cruise control. God wants to produce Christ-like character within all of us, and the way he does it is he puts fire on our backside. He places us in situations where it will feel as if we're being cut down. It will feel like a crucible, but crucibles, theologically, produce Christ-likeness. And so he tells him, A few things here in verse eight and nine. Number one, there's some things we learn here. God knows where Elijah is. Let that comfort us. God knows where he is. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came to him. God knows his location and his season. Um, One of the ways you know that God is on the move is that he sends a word. Listen to me, God doesn't need a reminder. He don't need a text message. He he doesn't need an email. He doesn't need a Facebook post or an Instagram selfie to say, hey, God, did did you forget about me? No, God knows exactly where you are. He knows your address. He knows your spiritual address. He knows your emotional address. God knows exactly where you are. And because he knows where you are, we need to stay close to him. That's why I love Psalm 119 verse 103. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You see, God sends a word, but we need to stay close to the word so that we can hear the word when he speaks the word to us. So God knows where Elijah is. But also God knows where Elijah is going. Interesting, he tells them to go from Sheriff to Zarephath. And my research indicates it's about a 100-mile commute. <laughs> they didn't have helicopter or, you know, Air Force One. Hello, he had his legs. Now, talk about uncomfortable, wilderness, desert. Now, you gotta, you got you to gotta ask yourself this question. Now, 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 think about this. How was he able to do all this? I mean, he had, to, he had to walk in the midst of a drought. Then on top of that, he has a bounty on his back. King Ahab don't even like the brother, so now he's crossing into enemy territory in the desert in the midst of a drought. Now the question I want to ask is, how was he able to make this commute? Think about that. How was he able? Well, you can easily say, well, yeah, God told him. Yeah, God told him. But think about this. What gave him the oomph to go? What gave him the courage to go? Was it because God called him? Yes. But may I suggest to you something else? Because he saw God come through by a brook. You hear me today. It's something about witnessing the faithfulness of God in a secret place. It's something about seeing God come through when nobody else is looking. It's something about witnessing the empowering ministry of the Spirit of God, the comforting presence of God, the profound provision of God, the manifest presence of God. When nobody else is around, I don't know about you, but when I've seen God come through in the secret place, it gives me a holy confidence to trust him even more. And the reason why he was able to cross in this hundred mile commute in the midst of enemy territory is because he saw God come through when he was just him and Jesus, him and the Lord, and some crazy ravens sending him biscuits. Hello, Popeyes. (laughs) He saw God come through. So God knows where Elijah is going. But also, God has a person prepared for Elijah. Interesting here. Notice the word choice of Scripture. He says, behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Notice, you're not going to feed her. She's going to feed you. Hold on. A couple problems here. She's a widow, which means she's broke. She's po. She couldn't even afford the O and the R. She's P-O. She's broke. She's po. And on top of that, she's a Gentile. Now, listen, this is why you can't just rush through Scripture. This is interesting. Every season that God takes you through is not random. It's intentional. She's about to interact. He's about to interact, rather, to an unclean woman from the standpoint of a Jew looking at a Gentile. Well, God already prepared him for that because ravens are unclean birds and God used unclean bird to give him biscuits. So. This connection from a season in the secret place is now about to be applied in a public platform. This is why you cannot shortchange God's activity and development in your life. And there he is. He's about to be ministered to (laughs) by a Gentile woman who is broke. God wants to humble me. Maybe somebody's here today and you feel humble. You feel frustrated. You feel like you're just running in a circle. Maybe you're emotionally drained. Maybe you've been praying for something and nothing seems to be panning out. And it seems as if you asked yourself the question, is my life even useful anymore? I'm trying, man. I'm pressing. I'm, I'm doing what I can. I'm not perfect. I, I'm trying to stumble my way forward towards the Lord, and I still don't see certain things panning out in my life. I feel like I got too much month at the end of the money. I feel stressed out. My, my mind is going in totally all these different directions. What am I to do? May I encourage you today with this one statement? Your life is useful. Could it be that God has allowed us to be humbled because he wants us to remain in that place? That's a platform for usefulness, by the way. (laughs) Humility. Spent eight years, my wife and I spent eight years as church planners in Nashville. And I, I got to be honest with you, there, there were many times we were dumbfounded. We meaning that our, our elders and our leadership team, we, you know, Lord, we're trying to do what you call us to do. But why in the world do we, are we staying at 60 people? We want to get to a place of stability. We, we, we want to get to a place where we can have leverage and we don't feel like we're, we're living month to month and we're struggling. We want to get to, I mean, come on, God, is, is that hard to ask? Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? Lord, is it hard to ask? But looking back, God was like, no, that wasn't my plan because I was more so into working in you before working through you. At the end of the day, it's not about a successful ministry. At the end of the day, it's about Christlikeness. It's about looking like Jesus and so the assignments that God gives to us becomes one of his primary tools of sanctifying us. And so our life is useful. And this is exactly where God wants us to be, to be in a place of neediness before him. God wants to use me while he's working on me. He will humble me as I serve him. Number two, God will make sure, I love this, God will make sure I apply his exams. Anybody ever failed a test before? Don't raise your hand. Well, again, it's time to go to school, Elijah. You see me come through by a brook. Now get up and go. And this is a test he's gonna face. He gets up and he's walking. Days. He's getting to where God told him to go, this place called Zarephath. Radical, immediate obedience. He's making his way, and he finally gets to Zarephath. He's tired, he's exhausted. And he just so happens to see a widow there gathering sticks, and he asks her for some water. She agrees, and when she turns to get the water, he says, oh, can you bring me some bread? And notice what she says in verse 12. Interesting. As the Lord, wow, a Gentile woman says this, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Notice what she says, what she says about God. I know who he is. The assumption is she's heard stories. The Lord, your God, this, I mean, Yahweh. I, we, we know he's committed. I know you're a Jew. I, I mean, he, he, he's in relationship. I've heard of his promises. I know he lives. But get this church. Could it be that even though her theology is right, she's not expecting that God to be involved in her space? I know your God lives. But over here, we in this drought. I'm not expecting him to come in my space. I got this much left. Just me and for me and my baby, we're gonna fix this meal and we're gonna die. Don't we all do something like that though? We, we yeah, Lord, I believe you up here, but I'm having a hard time, you know, making the application here. Lord I, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe you are God. I believe your word, but I'm having a hard time that my marriage can be reconciled. Lord, I believe, but I'm looking at my, my student loans or my, my bills, and I'm trying to figure it out. I don't see how you can come through on this. Has anybody ever been there before? I believe. But what, I, what it looks like in front of me right now is death. So she concludes that death is the only option. She concludes that this is it for me and my baby boy. Talk about a desperate situation. Now, Elijah could have said, okay, all right, cool. Let me go talk to somebody else. No, 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 no. Notice how he takes with him what he learned. Look at verse 13 and 14. Interesting. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. That's a dominant command all through scripture. Go and do as you have said, but first, uh uh-oh, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. He Basically says, I hear you talking about the impossibilities, but sister girl, let me cast your eyes on the possibilities. Go back in there. Prepare me some food. Feed me first. Now, that can seem kind of selfish. The brothers walked 100 miles. I ain't knocking him for that. But there's a deeper theological truth here. He's challenging her to step out in faith. Trust God at His word, you see he's passing the test. And now he's inviting her into the test. And so let me just throw this out here for free. When God gives us exams, when God throws us into a test, there's at least three things I want to encourage us with. Number one, here it is. Number one, we need to make sure, how can I put this? Don't make permanent decisions on temporary circumstances. In other words, don't allow what you see to determine your outcome. Does that make sense? Far too often as a pastor, I'm trying to counsel with people and people are in crisis. And and, and, and the the worst thing to do is, is to encourage them to make a permanent decision on a temporary circumstance. Old preachers used to say, I've never been in a storm that did not end. Think about that. You will get through this. And we have to resist the urge of making a permanent decision in a temporary circumstance and that's what he encourages her another implication here when God gives me an exam I need to handle my test with faith not fear handle my test with faith not fear now how often have we've all made made choices and decisions based on fear the very essence of worry and anxiety simply says God I'm gonna own what only you can own really And no wonder why we're stressed out. No wonder why we're filled with fear. Fear is a thing that we all struggle with. But what I see here is that we have to operate in faith. Faith is the key to experiencing God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so we have to be people addicted to building our faith. Well, how do we do that? Well, we take God's truth and we apply it. We take God's truth and we apply it. We take God's promises and we proclaim it. We take God at his word. We, faith is, I like what Tony Evans says, faith is acting like God is telling the truth. Faith. Trust him. And if you don't believe me, God will make sure that we will always be in over our head. Why? Because he's God. And he requires his people to operate in faith. And so when God gives me an exam, I must handle my test with faith, not fear. God, help us with this. But also, I got to serve God even when it hurts. Can you imagine how uncomfortable this sister might be feeling? This mother, just her and her baby. This prophet going to tell her, "You can go back in that kitchen, girl. Hook me up. Trust God. She got to go in that kitchen and visibly look at the little that she got left. She has to look at this. Can you imagine how painful? Man, I just met this guy. All right. I mean, I heard the stories of the Lord your God. I mean, okay, here it is. What you going to do, girl? What you going to do? Serve God. Even when it hurts, don't wait till things get better. Serve God in the lean seasons. Serve God in the mean seasons. Serve God with tears and with all the weight that you feel. Serve him right there because that's where he's going to cultivate holy fertilizer that he's going to use in your life for fruit and blessing down the road. But we have to apply these exams. So God wants to use me <laughs> while he's working on me. He will humble me as I serve him. He will make sure I apply his exams. And that's what Elijah is doing here. But thirdly, God will always, will always fill in the gap. You hear me on this. Huh. Theologically, spiritually, whatever you want to call it, There is always a gap between where we are and what God wants done. Period. One preacher said, if you can explain it, God didn't do it. Listen to me, every God sized assignment, you should feel a sense of, there is no way I can do this. Because if you can do it, you don't need the Lord. Every person in human history that God has used in the Bible or pastors or missionaries or whoever, everyone who names the name of Jesus, God specializes in allowing us to fill the gap so that we look up and see him alone who can fill the gap. So God wants to use me while while he's working on me. And so he wants us to know that he will fill in the gaps. Where do I get this principle from? Verse 15 to 16. Notice, and she went went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Three quick observations here. Number one, Elijah's pattern of obedience is also the same as the widow's. Take note of that. And it must be our pattern as well. God told him to get up and go. He arose and went. He tells her to go and go in the kitchen and do what she needs to do to trust God at his word. She went and she did. What's the principle? One scholar puts it this way. Man's obedience and God's faithfulness. Man's obedience and God's faithfulness. That's a combination that leads to miracles. I love it. Another way of putting it is this. Miracles flow through active faith. Miracles flow through active faith. Anybody anybody ever seen those or been in those buildings um, with those motion sensors? You didn't, have to, you didn't have to go flip a light switch. As soon as you walked in, boom, lights came on. The power was already there. But it only was realized when it sensed movement. Far too often, many of us want to see God work and God's saying, hold on, I'm waiting to see you move. You step out in faith and watch my power come through. You trust me at my word and watch me manifest myself in glory. A lot of times we miss God because God is waiting on us to take the step. And so here you see this woman takes a step of faith. Miracles flow through active faith. His pattern of obedience is also the same as the widow's. The second observation is this. God went above and beyond what they could imagine. I think I read something too quick. If you go back to verse 12, she mentions that she only had enough for her and her son, but verse 15 tells us that her household ate for many days. The NIV says her family. Catch it. God is all about making a statement about himself. You see, when God works in your life, it's never a statement just to you of who he is. He wants other people to see how awesome he is. He, he wants to show enough, show himself strong. Every now and then, God, God will allow us to experience him flexing his muscles. I've told this story before, but i never forget. Our church was a few months old. In January 2013, our brand-new church plant had only been around since October 2012. I get a call from our finance guy on a Monday telling me, hey, man, I'm looking at our church account and I'm looking at it sideways. I'm like, what you mean sideways? Brother, we need $2,800 this week. I'm, what you mean, $20? I thought we had a good offering. We did, but we had all these other things. We need $2,800. I'm like, wow. So here I am as a pastor. My, my knees are shaking. I'm on the phone with Jeff and I'm trying to pastor him while I'm shaking in my shoes. I'm not telling you what I heard, church. I'm telling you what I know because. God showed himself strong. So I said, Jeff, you know, we just to have to trust God. And he was like, look, man, I, I believe God. I trust God, man. But he's going to have to come through by Friday. $2,800? <laughs> $2, $2,800. says, so okay. All right, well, let me get up. Let me get back with you, man. Let me figure it out. Got off the phone. Didn't tell my wife. You know how it is when you're stressed, when you're worried. I never forget, I grab my Bible, I go upstairs in the bedroom, go into the closet, lay prostrate on the floor, and I started praying. Anybody ever prayed? You ever prayed out of nervousness and anxiety and fear, and you wasn't making no sense? Anybody ever been there? Okay, all two hands. Okay, somebody's being honest in church. <laughs> but here I am, I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. And literally, as I'm praying, I'm not making any kind of sense. I sense the Spirit of God, no lie, I sense the Spirit of God tell me to shut my mouth. Just stop it. I was like, okay. So I sat still, and all of a sudden he started bringing scriptures to mind. So as I'm reading uh, Matthew, he tells us to go into the closet. Okay, God, this is what your word says. Lord, you've led us here. Now my prayers are starting to be more focused. You led us here. You, we had a good launch Sunday, and you know we're struggling. And I never forget. I prayed these exact lines. Lord, we need twenty eight hundred dollars, or my family and the church is going to be on the street. Now I'm praying. And all of a sudden, my phone vibrates. Why is my phone with me in a prayer closet? I don't know. It was just with me. It was there. Okay, shoot me. (laughs) I looked at my phone, my pastor in Chicago. Hey, man, the Lord just put you on my heart. Where do I send this $300 check? Oh, man, you can send it to this address. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, we need (laughs) $2,500 by Friday. Dead, Dead serious, dead serious. About 15, 20 minutes goes by. I'm in the Word. I'm reading Scripture, and I'm just... I'm like Lord, I don't know what else to do. Get another text message from a pastor mentor of mine in Los Angeles. Hey man, the Lord just put you on my heart. Where do I send this twenty five hundred dollar check to? Can you hear me? How do you explain a prayer request in a three bedroom house in Brentwood, Tennessee? God touches the heart of a pastor on the south side of Chicago and a pastor in L.A. to meet the exact number we needed. You cannot tell me that was happenstance. You cannot tell me that was random. It was God's way of showing me, hey, man, what I order, I pay for. Somebody needs to hear that today. God will always take care of of you. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. And you will have moments in your life where God will flex who he is because, because we all know he don't always do that all the time. He tends to just, the increments of just faithfulness but what he does is he gives us those benchmarks, he gives us those moments to push us forward, to propel us forward, so that we know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God will always take care of you, and he wants to make a statement about himself. And that's what he does in his widow's life. That's what he does in Elijah's life. He made a statement. And he doesn't just leave it here. He's here in this room now. And so God went above and beyond what they could imagine. But the third observation here is this. I love it. God provided exactly what she needed. Can you imagine how she felt every time she saw, OK, I just poured this. I got a little bit left. She goes serve and she comes back. She had exactly what she needed. That's why the Bible calls it our daily bread. God gives us what we need. Oh, he takes care of us. I've never seen a complaining squirrel. I've never seen a complaining bird. If God could take care of the lilies of the field, how much more are those who are made in his image? One scholar says, when you've come to the end of your own resources and God says no to your wants, but yes to your needs, you are more than satisfied. Ladies and gentlemen, God will always fill in the gaps. Whatever that is, whatever gap you fill, our job is is to be faithful. There's an old song we used to sing in, back in my little church in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a gospel song. It's called Use Me. Here, let's check out some of these lyrics, actually the chorus. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord, and my feet. Touch my heart, Lord, and speak through me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. What great lyrics. But what great picture of surrender. How many of us have ever seen those cop shows or have heard of stories where cops have... uh, hunted down a criminal, and they got him cornered, and, you know, you've seen a TV show where this happens, and it's the classic line. Hey, you're surrounded. You have nowhere to go. You, you, you are completely a cornered in. Why don't you just come out with your what? Hands up. Come out with your? Hands up. That's what God wants us to do. If we want to be used by God, we need to come out with our hands up. Surrender to him because God wants to use you while he's working on you. He will humble me, yes. (laughs) He will take me through some tests, yes. But he will always fill in the gaps. But the question is, will we surrender? Or will we just say, "Eh, maybe tomorrow. Well, let me just go on and say this. (laughs) Tomorrow's not promised. Yesterday's gone. All we have right now is this moment. Did you know that Elijah wasn't recognized as a man of God until after this particular sequence in chapter 17? Do a little study. It's almost as if to say, all right, Elijah, I approve. You've been passing the test. Now I'm taking you on to further impact. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to keep going around the same lessons that God's trying to teach me. I want to pass and move on. Because God has a lot in store for you and for me. Amen. Father, we thank you for this wonderful example in Scripture of Elijah. A man after your heart, a man of passion, a man, a man of confidence. Thank you for this widow's desire to be obedient. So much could have been said. So many different theological realities here, but Lord, we, we just want to just take some of these implications and make sense of them in our own lives. Lord, I don't know the gaps that my sister or my brother is experiencing. We all should feel something, but Lord, I pray that this neediness, this sense of, man, I can't do this without you, may, may, may that legitimately drive us to prayer, drive us deeper in your word, drive us deeper in community, Fill our cups, O oh God. Empower us by your Spirit. We cannot do the Christian life in our own strength. I love what one preacher said, God, you have given us no provision for us to live the Christian life. No, it's Christ and us. It's the Spirit of God who lives the Christian life. We just need to daily surrender. We just need to be obedient. We just need to listen to your voice. And Lord, I pray that you will fill in the gaps. Strengthen us, we pray, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.